Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I am your host Leela Winston. I want to thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast. I pray that you are well and God is blessing in your life. Um, as you know, we come together to read and study in the Word of God so that we can practically apply it to our lives and also so that we can accomplish the purpose of our lives. Um, and so we have been looking at the uh, gifts of the spirit, uh, what I would call the back 10, which are the gifts that, you know, we don't really talk too much about. Uh, they're not the heavy hitters like pastor and, you know, prophet, but um, these are very important gifts. And so today we're going to make a small departure from that. And we are going to look at uh, the way that God wants us to sort of live our lives um, so that we can help other people to not only learn about, you know, the Lord and learn about what it means to be a believer, but also to spread abroad the fame of the Lord. And so if you will go with me and grab your Bible, we're going to go uh, to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. That is our anchor text for today. It is Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It's pretty short, but I think it really sort of demonstrates something pretty um, profound for us when we think about what God is trying to do in each and every one of our lives. So let's go ahead and get started. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. That's Exodus chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And so I think this is really interesting because um, a lot of times we read this verse and we think of Pharaoh as being pompous or being, you know, arrogant. And maybe he was, I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I can say is he's literally saying, I don't know who this God it is that you're, you're talking about. I don't know him. He's not of any importance to me. Um, you know, and it would probably be the equivalent if someone did the same thing to you about a God you had no idea about. You know what I mean? If someone came to you and said, my God, whatever is upset with you, you would be like, okay. And then what, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of thing, that kind of interaction. What we're seeing, we see Moses go to Pharaoh and say, Hey, the Lord wants you to let go the, uh, the Hebrews. And he's thinking, okay, who is the Lord? You know, so this gives us a little bit more context about what we're looking at when we look at Exodus chapter five, one and two. And when we look at the whole story of how the Lord delivered the Hebrews. So God has to show this man, this uh, enemy of the Hebrews, who he is. And the thing that's really interesting is that he has to use someone to do it and he has to use you to do it. If you're his child, he is going to use you to let other people know his name. You know, a lot of believers wish they had more power in this life. You know, I want power to defeat my enemies, to, you know, crush the evil supervisor <laughs> or, you know, to make sure my mother-in-law doesn't say those things or whatever the power that you may be to change society or, you know, maybe your particular industry. But I think it's really important to understand the importance of what you are able to do even without that 
you know, um, God wants us to know, uh, God wants those people to know his power and not ours. So if you had all this great power, yeah, your mother-in-law would be terrified of you. You know, the industry would just quiver and shake if you had all of this power. You know, um, the world would be terrified of you if you had all of this power. And so God is trying to allow mankind to know him, not exactly you and I. And that's something we have to understand. And it's not your power, your connections, or your cleverness that he actually wants recognized. And this is no slight to you or I um, and the accomplishments that we have or the things that we do. God makes it possible for us to do those things, right? Because this shows his power. When we succeed, he succeeds, right? God wants his fame to grow. And like the good God he is, he chooses to glorify you as well in it. That's what's so wonderful about being a believer. It's wonderful to watch believers grow in the power of God. Because not only do they demonstrate the power of God, God glorifies them too. It's just very nice to see. And so Pharaoh sincerely needed to know who God is. He said in verse two, who is the Lord? Because I think we need to understand all he knew was Amun-Ra and Anubis and his various other gods. And if you um, know about Egyptian history and lore and you love it like I have, I have loved Egyptian history since I was a child. I cannot even tell you. I used to sit down and draw you know, the ancient gods. I know that sounds, maybe I'm telling you too much information, but I really do love Egyptology. It just fascinates me. And so you have to understand there were plenty of gods, lower and lesser gods. Yes, there was one big, you know, God, but there were also lesser gods as well. So when Moses approaches Pharaoh, you have to understand Moses and all the, the Hebrews uh, as well as the Egyptians, they've lived together for years. Before even their 400 years of bondage, they lived together for years. Go and read in Exodus, and you'll see how that they just lived together, both Hebrews and Egyptians, for many years. No fighting, no war, no troubles. So these are some contexts we need to understand. And a lot of people and people confused Paul with being an Egyptian at one point. So it shows you just how closely the Egyptian and the Hebrew looked, right? Like they were so intertwined. So when this change came with Pharaoh and the oppression, that was a major departure. So the, the point is, is that they're all accustomed to the Egyptian sort of religion being the foremost religion. You have all these obelisks and you have all these pyramids and things and icons to these different gods. So when Moses approaches, okay, raised by the daughter of Pharaoh, and he says, the Lord wants you to let the Hebrews go. Pharaoh is like, who is, who is the Lord? Is he Anubis? Is he Amun-Ra? Is he Isis? Is he Osiris? And so that's the, the, the concept we have to understand. And so if you don't actually believe in something, it doesn't move you to act positively or negatively, which is kind of what he did. He was a little offended that, you know, Moses came in there and told him to do something. So that's probably why he, you know, made some changes. But 
for the most part, he's just like, I, I don't even really know who this the Lord is. And so as a believer, I think we need to understand that too in our own lives. You know, I can tell you as a believer, I fundamentally do not believe I can be cursed or demon possessed. I don't believe it. I can curse myself, but I don't believe that anyone can do that to me. And so I would be fine just sitting in a voodoo ceremony. I would just be eating snacks and watching people think, you know, this is wild. You know what I mean? Like the Bible, you know, sort of teaches us in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 30, this is as far back as to the Hebrews, that with the Lord, one can chase a thousand and two, 10,000. So what does the devil really mean to me? You know what I mean? Like when I can even cast it out or bind it or loose it according to the Bible, you know what I mean? Like you have to really think about what it means to truly be a believer and stand 10 toes down in what God has made you. So if I cared, maybe I would probably need to carry around talisman, charms and bracelets. I'd be sprinkling salt and dust, whatever, you know, buying amulets. But the fact of the matter is I don't because it just doesn't mean anything to me. And so this was the same situation that we see with Pharaoh. If you want to know if people or opposition truly believe you're God, see whether they act, if they believe that he's moving. And we see this with several kings who moved against the Hebrews because they knew the fame and they knew the name of God. There was Herod. I mean, I want you to think about the logic behind this. Herod killed babies for fear of the Messiah. So that means he believed that that Messiah was real. And he was right, you know. And then there was Balak who was hired, who hired Balaam to curse the Hebrews and he hired him to curse them because uh yeah he kind of knew these people had some kind of god behind them that was just like laying cities flat not just sitting countries you need to understand these people weren't laying cities a lot of times we think that the Hebrews came in and they were just kind of like rolling through cities no this tribe rolled through countries, nations, you know, if you can think of, I don't know, think about, um, let's think of the continent of Africa. It would be the equivalent of someone coming in and taking over, uh, taking over Gambia. Then they next take over Ghana. Then they next take over Congo. Then they next take over, uh, Ethiopia. And then that's the way the Hebrews were rolling through. They weren't taking down little cities. These people were rolling through, taking down countries. And so you have to understand the level of fear that came upon the different kings. And this particular king, Balak, who hired Balaam to curse them and, and countless others throughout the Bible you can read, is that the evidence of whether someone believes that what your God is real is their attempts to kind of protect themselves or even remonstrate. But when we look at Pharaoh, he's honestly acting out of a, a kind of human narcissism and greed and maybe some jealousy just to oppress the Hebrews, you know? He's confronted with an ultimatum by their, the Lord, whom he has no idea who is like, who is the Lord? So it's useful to note that in saying, who is your God? It meant God had to show him. And that's really the point. A lot of people just don't know that the Lord is real and God may use your life to do it. Does it mean he's going to roll through and knock down kingdoms? Maybe, 
but it also might mean that God might create miracles in your life that they can watch. It might be that your tangible love for your wife or your tangible love for your family or community becomes a witness for people to know the name of God. But it is very useful to note that we are the ones who are helping to spread this fame, okay? And so he did show uh, Pharaoh who he was. And so Egypt was decimated by the time Pharaoh knew who God is. And we can see this in in, um, Genesis chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Now remember, we read before we were in Genesis um, chapter 5. So this is a long way. You know, getting to Genesis chapter 12 is a long way. It's a lot of signs and wonders. So let's see what happened at the end. And we're going to read that now. And he called Moses and Aaron by night and said, get up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. I'm sorry. He said, rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks, take your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. That's Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. That's Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. So in chapter 12, there's a big difference between the Pharaoh of chapter five and the Pharaoh of chapter 12. Okay. In this chapter, we see Pharaoh calling God by his proper title, right? He's saying the Lord serve, go serve the Lord, whoever he is. He's saying, go do it. Okay. He actually called Moses in at night while Egypt was yet crying out over the death of their firstborn. At this point, he knew the Lord. Okay. He knew him so much so that he even asked Moses to bless him before he left. So God wants to teach people his name through you. The Bible says that both God and Satan go to and fro the earth. Now they go to and fro the earth for different reasons. Satan is traveling up and down the earth. God says his eyes roams up and down the earth. Why is God looking? Well, God is looking for someone to show himself strong on behalf. Satan is looking for someone to destroy. And that is very important to note in 1 Peter chapter 5 and 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaming lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5 and 8. And so the question then becomes, do you want to be a victim or a victor, a victim of Satan's rules or a victor of God's glory. And that's the point. God wants you to be a victor of his glory, his coming glory and his present glory. Let's look again at how God explains this in Exodus chapter seven, verse four and five. It says, but Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand 
upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. That's Exodus chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. Again, it says, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, which when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Exodus chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. So if we look at verse 4, God says Pharaoh will not hearken. That means he's not going to listen to you. When you go in there and you know you ask him to let the children of Israel go, he's going to say, no, I don't know who your God is. But I want you to notice something. He says, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. And I think that's really a curious word, right? Like that word, that helps us see that God is saying Pharaoh will not listen for the purpose of or because of or to make it possible for me to strike him. I think that's interesting. And I think this is really kind of incredible when you think about it, because it kind of means like God's word is law. His word is law. That's why we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay. We always talk about the law of love or the abolition of the law, but God's word is law. It's why disobedience is such a big deal. Therefore, it says in the Bible that if we love him, we obey him. It is why he says obedience is better than sacrifice. It is why Adam and Eve were told not to eat from the tree. It's even why Jesus was the first tempted. uh, He was first tempted to turn stones to bread. His word is law. It is why Paul said the law made sin exceedingly sinful. And without it, I would not have known it. And we see this in Romans chapter 7, verse 13. It says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin. Remember, it was already sin, but that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So the point is saying that you don't know something is prohibited unless somebody tells you, oh, this is prohibited. If you, you just won't know. So you'll do it ignorantly. Okay. And so that is what we're learning is that when the Lord says something, when he gives a command, even if it's a small command, that's why it's so important to be sensitive to the spirit and to heed it and to follow the will of God. Because when he, he tells you something, that is law. If you feel a mandate to do it by God, it is law. I may not feel it. You know, it's kind of like we tell certain people, you can't wear that and you can't do that. Well, God, if God didn't tell them that, why are you trying to put a law upon them that the Lord is not convicting them for? Maybe the law, the Lord convicts you for it, you know? And so God told Moses to go out and set a law before Pharaoh. That's what he did when he went to him, right? He said, let my people go so they may go worship me. At that very instant that Pharaoh said no, he was in violation of the law of God. I want you to understand what it means when you say the law of God. We're not talking about necessarily these 10 commandments, right? We're talking about the will of God every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if we are in disobedience, 
of that word, then that means we are breaking his law. We're in violation, okay? So the word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is law. That is how he can make things. That is how he can create things. And that is why he won't violate his own word. That's why I had to go through all of these different kinds of steps in order to bring Jesus to earth and save mankind because he couldn't violate his law. He couldn't say, oh, Adam, Eve, you guys ate from the tree? Oh, that's not good. But you know what? I'm going to let you guys live. He couldn't do that or he would have violated his word. So he needed to find a way around that. There's actually a very good Bible study here at Anchor FM at Love Walk that you can check out. It's called Love is My Religion and the other one is Love Always Finds a Way. These Bible studies sort of explain to you how God loves us so much that he had to find a legal way in his word, in his declarations to reach us and come save us from sin. So in so let's go ahead and look that we see in verse four, we see that God says that the Egyptians will know me when I have laid my hand upon them and brought out my people, they will know. So they will know that God is strong, that he will fight for his people. God used the Hebrews to demonstrate his power and spread his name and the imperative of obeying his word. And so, yes, God wants us to be strong in the Lord. But when we are weak, he's actually strong, right? He's not looking for people who look like they can make the journey or win the fight or be victorious. I'm sorry. He's just not. You know what I mean? Like he's going to choose maybe some unlikely people, maybe some people who have things stacked against them. So that's not something that sort of uh, precludes you if you feel like you have some deficit. Moses stuttered, okay? And God used him as a mouthpiece, as his prophet. Remember, it is to the glory of God to confound the wise. We find that in Proverbs, right? So he needs the unlikely people. That is the audacity of God. That is the audacity of God. He, he does things that just blow your mind. He will use the smallest thing to make the largest impact. So never feel, never count yourself out, never feel like you don't have what it takes because it isn't about you having what it takes. It's about what God wants to do with you and through your life. So I think that's really important because if we look, you know, Moses was just a stuttering slave, son of slaves okay, who brought down the greatest empire in human history. No one has ever done that. (laughs) And probably, well, I won't say it'll never be done because if the Bible said greater works, will we do? So I think that's some powerful uh, um, concepts to understand. You know, God's name has so much power. And the question then becomes, are you willing to publish his fame, not only through your words, but through your life? your adherence to what is good and to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, no matter what it looks like. This is what God did for the man in the gatherings, you remember? And even for Lazarus and for Hannah and for Abraham and for Paul and for the blind man, for so many countless others, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I want to point something out in Exodus 14, 40. Listen to this. It says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. That's Exodus 14, 40. That's God literally telling Moses, yeah, the Egyptians, they're going to come after you guys. And I'm going to drown them in the Red Sea so that I may get honor. It gives God honor to destroy and to defeat the wicked. Yeah, I said it. 
Yep, I said it. <laughs> it's true. Yes, because you have to understand how completely opposed to wickedness that God is. He's completely, it's, it's his antithesis. Wickedness is his antithesis. He is the exact opposite of it, right? So he, he says he abhors, he hates things that are wicked. So he's completely set against it. That's why we couldn't reach to God when we fell by eating from the tree. So you have to understand God isn't just hateful of wickedness because he's malicious. It's literally his antithesis. If he accepted any of it, he would cease to be, right? So it's important to understand why it's in, why God takes a, um, a particular uh, honor in destroying wickedness, right? You know, there comes a time when a man becomes reprobate thoroughly and thoroughly rejects God. This happens. I know it doesn't sound nice and it's not a good, you know, it, it's not popular, but it is true, unfortunately. Not every seed is going to germinate. You know, unfortunately, not everyone is going to accept the gospel. So there comes a time when God becomes an enemy to a man. When God, his law, and his people, and you have to understand that. And that is where God is there to protect innocent people, people who want to do right and good. So God is not like us. He can exact vengeance or 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 on cruel people, on wicked people. In fact, if we are all honest, we all don't like bad people in our lives. Like, right? <laughs> who likes a bad person who does bad things? The people who cheat us, steal us, gossip, antagonize, betray, and hurt others. We don't particularly like those people. As believers, we may not hate them like some unbelievers, but we don't like those people. And we may be called to love them, but we are not called to like them right? People who do ugly things, unfortunately, are ugly. Have you ever met someone you thought was cool until you realized they were like a liar or a betrayer or something like that, or they hurt others or were a gossip? You didn't like them anymore. You stopped affiliation. Even bad people don't like when other bad people do bad things to them. So the Bible is clear that we have a mandate to speak the name, the fame, and the glory of God. It is to the glory of God to spread his name by putting down wickedness and lifting up righteousness. The most especially we do this in our daily lives. It is in glory that we find purpose meaning and satisfaction god's glory the example of the hebrews still brings glory to the name of god to this very day and i wonder what will you do that will bring glory to god for years and years to come thank you so much for tuning in i pray that god blesses you richly bye